Hey, Chris Manning here from the Lockdown Cavs podcast with my co-host, Evan Damrell. He's back, folks. Segment one, Karis LeVert, likely starter at the two. Segment three, Sexton and Okoro as incumbent options with something to prove. And segment three, the Ochai Abaji wildcard. Want to thank you, by the way, for making Lockdown Cavs your first listen every day. Remember, we are free and available wherever you get your podcasts. You are Locked On Cavs, your daily Cleveland Cavaliers podcast. Evan, welcome back, buddy. How are you? How was the vacation? It was good. Uh, my driving game is bad, but I can ship pretty well. Um, I don't know why people willingly live in the South, how like unremarkably hot, or not remar- unremarkably, remarkably hot and humid it is, but it's good to be back, man. I'm feeling fresh. I'm feeling good. Uh, we are a week away from my half birthday as of recording this, so if you are a listener, wish me a happy half B-Day next Tuesday. So, But I'm, I'm good, man. How are you? Uh, congrats, uh, congrats on the new kid. I mean, no, I'm not having a child. Um, this is this will be a reveal later on. But um, Chris, I'm getting you the sticker that says my child has four paws. Darn right for the back of your car. You you know what? It's true. We'll only be talking about my dog. I'll be that human being. All right, let's talk about the Cavs starting shooting guard question because it's August. So what we're going to do for about the next month or so uh, as we're doing three days a week is we are going to talk about different Cavs questions about the season. So today we'll be talking about the starting two-guard option. Uh, later in the uh, on Friday's episode, we'll be talking about what we can realistically expect from Ochai Abaji as a rookie in the NBA. Um, if something slash when something happens with Colin Sexton, We'll cover that. Uh, we'll have more things coming into September. Um, this episode is produced now by our new producer, Jake. So he'll maybe be joining us at some point as well on a little cameo queen vibes to, to come through and chat about stuff. But Evan, let's start with this conversation with Karis LeVert, because I think it seems like right now, if we were to go to our friends at Bet Online, let's say, and throw down, like a head, create a line for them about who is the Cavs starting shooting guard on opening night, I think Karis LeVert, is the odds-on favorite right now. Yeah, I was given the impression uh, maybe a few weeks ago when I was kind of sniffing around on it that at least for now, I think, unless your name is, like we've said before, Darius Garland, Evan Mobley, or Jared Allen, uh, it's an open competition for the starting two spot, the starting, starting three spot, and the four to five players that will round out J.B. Bickerstaff's rotation next season. And I think... For now, at least, Karis LeVert is penciled in. Um, uh, emphasis on penciled. It's not written in ink. It's written in pencil. Uh, as the starting two guard, granted, things can change if Ochai Abaji makes a dramatic leap, if things with Karis, or sorry, Colin Sexton kind of iron themselves out and he just looks like completely the same player and if not that better heading into next this tra- upcoming training camp and next season. But for now, I think Karis LeVert is penciled in as the starting two guard for the Cavs. And it makes a lot of sense because when this team was fully healthy this cat in terms of just healthy with the Karis LeVert on the floor next to Garland Market and Mobley and Allen they looked pretty sharp they looked pretty solid like you could see the vision of what the Cavs are trying to flesh out here 
Now you have the benefit of a training camp and hopefully a fully healthy Karis Levert. You really hope you hit the next gear with him and really start to become a more, not a force in the Eastern Conference, but at least a more legitimate playoff threat uh, long term this season. This is, I think pen, pencil, pencil, not pen, is a good way to put this because I, I think like he is the, this is the starting spot that feels the most up for grabs to me. If we're thinking about this big picture wise, I think Lowry Markkinen feels more like maybe it's like an erasable pen. You know, remember those? That, that feels like where he's at because it would, it would seem like you're going to run that back to some degree and see if you can you, you adjust sent, it. You sent, you sent me back, man, with the erasable pen things. I remember that was a thing when we were allowed to write in pen at school and kids what? would use it and it just wasn't really a viable option because pen doesn't truly erase folks it does not but i i look at lavert and i think okay we can see this and say the logic of what this is is similar to why they traded for him last year right so six seven he's bigger than a lot of their options he can get his own shot he can run some pick and roll um historically you know even whether it was in brooklyn or his time with indiana this guy does have a good assist usage ratio so he's at least creating some assists for others even if it's not the darius garland kind of assist it's pretty in structure assists he, the real holdback with him is that he's not that good of a shooter only one season in his career with an above average effective field goal percentage that was in his rookie season offensively like i think this is where you're making the argument that's like, okay let's get the six seven guy who can dribble on the floor to play off of darius garland to attack closeouts to run some some second to be kind of the isolation guy if this if this is, if everything kind of breaks down around him that to me would seem to be the argument and i i understand that argument it is not I think maybe the optimal thing I would kind of do, but I get it. And I and I especially kind of get it, Evan, in a, in a world where we're looking at how the Cavs have played offense last year. Even if there are going to be some new bells and whistles this year, I do not suspect that this is going to be like a much more like free-flowing modern kind of thing. I think Levert mm-hmm. is kind of another hammer to, to use makes some sense if he's going to play pretty straightforward in how he functions. I think... The thing that it interests me the most, at least, and like at least gives Levert a leg up, is one he has the recency uh, bias, I guess you want to put it, when in terms of like just him being the more recent player in Cleveland's offensive flow. But just in terms of just him comparing him to Colin Sexton, it's it's apples to bananas a little bit in terms of just where they're at as players right now. But there is apples to apples in terms of skill set there. But I think Levert is just more comfortable playing off ball, and you noticed that you noted this in your Colin Sexton piece for Fear the Sword that. Garland is being paid and he's being viewed as the lead maestro of this offense next season. And you're going to have the ball in his hands more often than not. And I think Levert has more success working as an off-ball player than Sexton does right now in theory. And also, you can also let Garland have some of the opposing defensive pressure thrown off of him if Levert is clicking and working. But also, for now, if Ochai Abaji isn't ready, I think that's like obviously your... Long-term hope, maybe, too, is like Abaji makes the most sense as a player next to Garland because he's a 3 and D wing. But, yeah, Levert just makes a lot of sense just across the board. But I, I need to see what he looks like through preseason, through the early stages of the season, if he is the starting two guard. Because is he healthy? Is he comfortable with this team? Because there were some obvious growing pains, and he didn't have the benefit of getting legitimate practice time because he came here in the middle of the season when there is no legitimate practice time because it's mostly it's film study then a couple walkthroughs and just making sure guys are right i think that's right and i think i think if we're willing to give him the benefit of doubt and i think we, sh- we should in this one area 
I think we know what he is as a player, but I think if you're saying, okay, his rhythm was really disrupted because of the injury last year. I think we can say that and say, look, we can wonder if there's some better stuff to come from Carol Silver. And I think the Cavs seem to believe that the injury had a, had an impact there. And I again, I think that's fair. I think there are just questions about like what he functionally is as a player. Um, look, offensively, we talked about it. Defensively, I just don't think he's particularly good. Uh, had the worst defensive plus minus of his career in his time with the Cavs, according to Dunks and Threes is historically kind of below average. It, it can can put up a fight, can be competent, but it's like another one in these marketing categories where I don't think he's really adding stuff to you in defense, and I think you're kind of going to rely on your bigs behind him to cover for him with switchability, to cover for him in terms of just giving him a, a line of defense behind him that he needs to, to be able to be able to look a little bit better. And he's also not a guy that's going to cover, let's say, for Darius Garland, right? Like one of the things oh, yeah. I think you look for long-term is maybe a guy to play with, play with Darius who can defend the point of attack stuff and handle that burden for Darius. Levert's not going to be that dude. They may try it from time to time, especially if a team has like a bigger guard. Like if they're playing the Hornets and he's going to maybe he'll defend, you know, LaMelo and just to, to throw some size on him if, you know, if, if he's the starting two. But most nights, that's not going to be what he does. He's, he's going to be the Karis Levert we've seen in the NBA now for like however many years he's he's been in the NBA since he came into Michigan. And like that, we I think we understand how this is. And it's just, it's I think it's a fine, reasonable choice that lacks, I think, excitement in terms of the upside. But I think it's either going to work just fine or it's probably not going to work. Yeah, to preface, I know Chris and I have kind of talked about this in the past where we said Levert is a good defensive option next to Garland. He is no, by no means like Isaac Okora, who's arguably the best perimeter defender, even Lamar Stevens, who's probably a step above Levert in terms of perimeter defense, but he's a bigger body player for his position, and I think that's where the intrigue is for the Cavs, and like Chris said, he's not going to be your point of attack defender. I just don't think that's how Cleveland's going to necessarily mm-hmm. operate. They're going to really, really, really rely on that backline defense of Mobley and Allen, and also just kind of making a lot of things work for Cleveland next season, and I just think removing the defensive risk of having a smaller backcourt like Garland and Sexton, which was frankly a turnstile on defense at times when we saw it. Um, I mean, granted, this is before Mobley and Allen. We don't have a full scale of how that worked, but I think it's just a, a slight improvement of what that was defensively, and it makes life easier for Mobley and Allen because they have to kind of cover for some of the miscues and marketing as well. But... Levert, like you said, I think I, I like that analogy. I think that's smart. Where if you have a bigger guard, or if there are certain scenarios where you want to throw Levert on to not the team's best perimeter player, but maybe the point guard if they're shredding Darius Garland a little bit, or maybe they just want to slow him down by putting a bigger body on the point guard, or opposing point guard. Like that, that that's smart. That makes sense, and I think that's a good way to go about this. But at the same time, maybe you get a little bit more creative with your rotations and lineups too, just so you can maybe have more competent point of attack defense when you have Garland or Levert on the floor. Yes. All right. After the break, we're going to move on to talk about Colin Sexton and Isaac Okoro. So that'll be an interesting discussion there about guys that are incumbents with, I think, something to prove um, as they're coming back next season, assuming at least both of them are back in Kyle Sexton's case. But first, going to tell everyone about our friends at Built Bar. If you haven't tried Built Bar Puffs yet, you are depriving yourself of one of life's greatest joys. And guess what? There's a new flavor. Ready? Delicious. Indulge a cookie dough covered in chocolate. That's right. Built has done it again. Let me introduce you to your new favorite flavor, the cookie dough chunk puff. And they have a light and chewy texture, real cookie dough chunks. And of course, they're covered in 100% real chocolate. Cookie dough chunk puffs are only 160 calories, and they have a whopping 15 grams of protein in them. 
run or like type really fast because you can't run on the internet to built.com to snag a box for you and the family. It will be the perfect treat. They only have 160 calories, by the way. Like a built bars, the new cookie dough chunk puff is covered in 100% real chocolate and they have a light, fluffy texture with that chocolate covered cookie dough. You're going to love the new Cookie Dough Chunk Puff. And whether you need a snack for your workout, a late night treat, or just need to grab a quick bite, Built is the perfect protein bar and they taste better than a candy bar. Go to Built.com, use the promo code LOCK15 and get 15% off your order. Again, that promo code is LOCKED15. All right, we're back here on the Lockdown Cast podcast. I'm Chris Manning. That is Evan Damerill. All right, let's talk about two guys, Evan, who have something to prove as guys that have been around that we have more of a track record with here in Cleveland covering them. Two guys that are still pretty young in their careers compared to a Karis LeVert. Guys that have some question marks, uh, I think, about them as well. Do you want to start with Colin Sexton just because he's maybe, the I think, the, the more juicy name of the two here? I mean, I think both players are plenty interesting. But yeah, let's talk about Colin Sexton. Um, on the, uh, at the top... There's no update at this time. I think it's going to remain a staring contest. I think Shams Tarani reporting that this could drag into training camp and possibly the start of the season isn't surprising. The Cavs and Sexton will go back and forth on possible contract negotiations. Jake Fisher did say on his show that there's a good chance, and he feels comfortable in saying that there's a good chance that Sexton comes back and plays on the qualifying offer next season, which will definitely make things interesting for the Cavs. And Chris, let's say he does come back with the qualifying offer next year. Colin definitely has a lot to prove, and mm-hmm. it's the proof. Can he fit in? Let's just say Karis LeVert starts. Can he fit in as a six-man type player and make an impact and reduce minutes? Can he close in tight situations alongside Darius Garland? Can he, and this is the biggest one, prove, is he a winning player? Because Cleveland, I, I felt this way at least, They their season seemed a little, little shaky when he went down last year with a serious meniscal tear, and they continued to be a winning team and were a win away from making the playoffs. He's a lot of things he has to prove. Because Sexton is the kind of player who likes to bet on himself. He did it once when the Cavs offered him much more guaranteed money, and unfortunately we saw how that went. But I think Sexton just has a lot to prove, and I'm interested to see how he functions as a six-man, because I don't think he's going to obviously sabotage the Cavs or himself out there. But I wonder how Cleveland handles this situation going forward, because if he becomes a UFA next offseason... That's obviously something we can approach next offseason, of course. But it's, it's something you have to kind of keep in the back of your mind. Because if he comes back on this qualifying offer, he's going to come back with a math, massive chip on his shoulder. And also, he has to prove, is he still healthy, too? That's the other thing. Yeah, I think there's something with Sexton where there, there is a speed element that I think he provides that none of these others can, right? So I think there's that element that I would say is is maybe the most intriguing part of his favor because he can provide that dynamic up and down ability that I, I you know, core doesn't really provide Lavert doesn't really play that way. So there, there's something there to me. I think the defensive stuff is, is perhaps the biggest question here. The biggest hindrance to, to his case. Are you really built to, and, and look, we would have had an answer to this last year, not due to this injury. We would have had a much clearer answer about all oh, of yeah. this had he not gotten hurt last year, but that this is the world we live in. Are you built to support him and Garland defensively for a whole season when Mark and Ninja presume starting three, and he's not going to cover for those guards defensively? So it's putting all of the, the pressure on Mobley and Allen to do that. 
I think the the other part of this is 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 what how does how would he let's say he takes the qualifying let's say he's on a shorter term deal where he is still looking very much ahead or looking to somewhere else or his trade value is in his head or whatever. We'll have to see how he answers these questions and all that stuff. But I I would say like I even looked I was looking at the the twenty twenty three cap space teams like even that I'm just like there there's so much pressure to that that I would wonder what the effect of that would be. That's a very mm-hmm. human component of this to me. Um, I. I, I would be intrigued by the Sexton pick. I would say, I would say, this is like the, one of the biggest. This, hit this whole situation remains, I think, the biggest wild card uh, to all of this. And to move on to Okoro, the, Evan, the, there's a lot of you? uncertainty yeah. around Colin. That's just all I'm gonna say. Is like until we can see him back out there on the floor and see what kind of player he is post injury um and just kind of what he is as a player overall because let's be frank he is a 6-1 shooting guard who can only play shooting guard he's not a point guard he can't play small forward he isn't multi-positional in a sense he doesn't bring you a lot unless it's three level scoring which is something the Cavs certainly mean a lot of teams could use but to what extent and how does he fit and how can he be more multifaceted? That's another thing I'm going to watch with him is can Colin Sexton unlock something in his game a little bit that we haven't seen in the past that we can say like, okay, there's something multifaceted to his approach this season that really makes him a lot more interesting in terms of this rotation. But go ahead with Okoro. No. So I think Okoro in a lot of ways is the inverse of the Sexton question. Very low usage offensive player. He's never going to be like a, a t- run a ton of pick and roll, run some isos for him. Like that's not how he's going to work. He's going to work off the ball. And he's also unfortunately a guy that teams don't respect as a shooter or off ball at all right now. So he's a good defender as well. Not elite. Not, he doesn't you know cause a ton of turnovers or, or generate a lot of chaos in that way. But he's rock solid, particularly at the point of attack. I would also note Garland, Okoro, Lowry Market, and Evan Mobley Jared Allen last year. Plus 10.2 per 100 possessions, 116.7 offensive rating, 106.5 on defense in a, in a pretty large sample. It is also notable to me that they went away from him as the starter when they had options with Levert and other guys at the end of the year. I think it's very clear, Evan, that like Okoro is a guy this year with a lot to prove. But it is also like a guy who is in flux, and I think like mm-hmm. if he shows up and has like a if he showed up to camp and had like a great offensive camp and had a great preseason and all that stuff, there's like a case that where he makes a ton of sense to run it back with him at the two, even with some of the concerns. I think it is just clear that the Cavs are he would really I think it feels like he would really have to prove that there's a new offensive leaf turned over to some degree for for that to be a thing. I agree with that and. To kind of go in a similar vein to what I was saying about Colin Sexton a moment ago, uh, in terms of being multifaceted, Isaac Okoro is intriguing because, like you said, he is the inverse of Sexton where he is a low usage player offensively, but is a stud defensively. But you saw at times where things started to click for Okoro, like either he was able to hit some three-pointers and teams did have to respect him on the perimeter, but more often than not, they didn't. He was streaky at best from the free throw line. There were times the Cavs would utilize him as a baseline cutter, and that was like Chris's bread and butter favorite play, and like that worked really well for him too. We just need to see some set. And then there's times too where like, I know point Okoro is a bit of a joke at this point, but like unless it's summer league, you're not going to be seeing him run pick and roll attacks, but there's some playmaking chops there. If he tightens his hand a little bit, maybe there's something there too. Isaac Okoro is probably of at least just not the proverbial big three you have here. He's one of the more intriguing players the Cavs have that I'm going to take a long look at this year. Like he's, I'm really curious how they use him, how, what his leaps are going to be. And like, 
I'm going to, again, give him a little bit of the benefit of the doubt because he came into his rookie season during the COVID year. Like, it was a very shortened rookie offseason and everything. Like, he didn't really have a lot of time to acclimate. So, you could say it's like 2.5, but this is technically year three. He should take some form of a leap offensively where we see, like, okay, this is what Isaac Okoro is good at. This is what kind of what he's limited at. And, like, maybe there's an opportunity he can improve upon it. But... I, I don't know, because if he's still not a plus shooter, if he still just kind of comes in and out of the offense and doesn't flow and become like a, a legitimate threat and a legitimate presence on each possession where if the offense breaks down and they kick the ball to Isaac, like either he can hit a three or he can cut in and maybe hit a pull-up jumper or something like that. Like that'd be hugely surprising too, obviously, because that's not just in his game, but there's got to be something there where he just become. There's something in his offensive game that just needs to become a reliable staple of his. We talked about this with Evan Mobley a while back, where like Mobley just kind of needs to develop that back offensively still too. But like Okoro needs something to latch on to to show that he's just not one-dimensional in terms of being a low-usage offensive player who's very good defensively, where he can be a high-impact player. I'm not a high-impact player on both ends, just mostly on defense, but he's able to make an impact on offense as well. Like, that's kind of what I'm watching for with him. Yeah, I think you can. people can cite the, the better shooting numbers into the year. We just need to see, I think, it for a sustained stretch where the Cavs seem to trust it and other players on the team seem to trust it, but also other teams kind of respect him as a shooter. I think if he is in a situation where like the other teams start to close out on him. There are stuff in his offensive game, I think particularly attacking closeouts to get dunks and get to the rim that are waiting there, but they only really pop up when teams respect him as a shooter. And that just has really dissipated over time. So we'll see where this goes. The core we'll have to put it. He's a, he's another one of our questions in the song. It's what is he as an offensive player is one of the things we're going to dive into because it's uh, there's a lot of stuff to kind of whittle through there. But after this break, we are going to talk about the wild card of the shooting card, shooting guard race. Excuse me. That's Ochai Abaji, the cast first round pick out of Kansas. We'll be right back. All right. Last segment here. Chris Manning, Evan Damerel. This is your daily look at the locked on at the table. Look at the Cleveland Cavaliers. All right. Ochai Abaji. Right mix in theory, Evan, to make him a good fit. Solid defender. I think better probably off ball to start than on ball in terms of supporting Garland in that very specific way. But probably I think should be able. They're going to do it for, with him at times. Should be a good shooter. The summer league stuff with him is very interesting in terms of coming off of DHOs, coming off of pin downs, and just firing up threes. But he's a rookie. We're going to talk about this on Friday, so we're. Gonna, I don't want to dive too deep into will mm-hmm. he be good or not right away. I don't think it's likely that he will be. It seems like this is a guy to me more that could be the starter at the two long term, perhaps a year from now, right? Let's say, but not a guy that we should kind of say is maybe the favorite or like even the second favorite to get this job, barring he him having like a really good start of camp or or injuries that kind of clear the path for him or something, just things breaking in a way that make him the, the starting two from day one. Yeah, I, I would be very surprised if he cracks the starting lineup to open the season. I would not be surprised if he gets some DNP coaches' decisions to start the season instead, just because of just how far along he is as a rookie and the fact that the Cavs have a lot of established players ahead of him right now heading into the rotation next season because, uh, again, it's Garland, Levert, Markkinen, Mobley, Allen, Love, Okoro, Rubio when he's healthy, but Neto for now, and then we'll say Sexton if he's back. And at that point, it's Abaji is like that fringe ninth, tenth man as well. So, like, 
that's a little tricky too. But like you said, barring injuries, which we hope doesn't happen because that's just unfortunate for this Cavs team who kind of needs to get off on a hot start right away, in my opinion. And unless he just becomes a total gangbuster, I don't see him starting necessarily to start the year, obviously, like I just said. But there were some interesting things, like you said, in Summer League where he didn't shoot the ball like lights out, lights out, but he was shooting it a lot from three-point range. Like you said, it was it was in a variation in the packages and the Cavs were utilizing him too. So they weren't just like traditional, like, okay, Abaji sitting in the corner, we're just going to kick it out to him, or Abaji's at the top of the perimeter as a trailer on fast break scenarios, we're just going to kick it out to him. And like you said, it's DHOs, it's running set plays with him working as an off-ball shooter and things like that were like it's interesting enough and obviously the level of talent in summer league and the spacing in summer league is a huge difference maker too but it's interesting enough to say like okay maybe there is a path here where you get him in an nba strength and conditioning program you get him used to the rigors of playing in the nba as well where he could become the starting two guard maybe not even next season maybe the year after that like he has like a similar path like mikhail bridges or People throw out the Desmond Bain comp just because he's a senior, or Desmond Bain was a senior when he was drafted, and I think that's just a little unfair to Abaji as well because they are a little bit different players too. But um, there's a path to where Abaji could be the starting two guard next season, but I can see it within three seasons as well, like the the third year of his rookie scale contract. Like, yeah, he's the starting two guard next to Garland, but also things could change a lot too because the Cavs have a ton of Cavs face next offseason as well. But Abaji could carve out a role in this rotation. It just kind of depends on how he looks, and also I think the Cavs have the luxury of having so many players in front of him. They can kind of bring him along a little bit more slowly too if he's not ready. Maybe he is a little overwhelmed by them moment yeah i think the hope is that because he is a little older and and you know kind of battle tested at kansas i think the i think the hope definitely if, mm-hmm. you, if you ask me about it is that he's going to be at least able to kind of uh get stuff going along i think the other part of it is that i i think like he has a skill set that i think if he if he is competence i think it's going to force some questions i think it's going to force minutes for him because i think there's just the need for what he does in the way the Cavs function right now i think that's just uh, a reality of what their roster looks like what their wing situation looks like and they need a guy who can do what he does unless like a coral comes out and it's just like bombs away from three you know then like that that's a different question but like i think there's just a need for an abaji type guy i think it is just like okay is it 10 minutes to start is it 12 is it you know does he get 21 night if things really kind of mm-hmm. work a certain way like that that's i think where this is more than than starting but like i i'm i'm curious to see how i would like to see lineups with him and garland just because i want to see how they function how they use him in that specific context it might not be something we see a ton of but like I, I would want to see him, and there's like different ways they're going to pair these guys who are not going to, who are going to, you know, play the two. One of them, some of them will start, some of them won't. And like when Rubio comes back, there's going to how they pair some of these guys together will be something worth watching in terms of okay, is it Lavert and Rubio to kind of juice some of the playmaking? Do they try to recreate the Rubio Garland magic? Then it's like okay, uh, Lavert and someone else or in a are like paired together. Like there's some interesting things about how they might approach this that I would, I would find interesting. So Evan, let's end on this. Mm-hmm. I tend to think that if we were going to do it today, if we were going to come at today was training camp and uh, you know, we got to ask JB Bickerstaff after, okay, who was, who was the, the lead five today? Or, you know, if it was like the NFL and you get to watch some of the first practices and you got to see who was working with the ones, I think the starting five would have Karis Levert at the two. Would, mm-hmm. would you agree with that? 
I, I, I would agree with that. And then Larry Mark would be the starting three in this scenario just because you need spacing out there with Levert, uh, Mobley, and Allen on the floor. Yeah, I, I actually have a very hard time imagining like the, the market in not starting as of right now. Yeah, they don't really have a true three on the roster that can push him, and yes. they don't really have any other players that could you could justifiably make a case like that you could play out of position like you are with marketing at the three. All right, so if you had to say here we have Levert as the number one as the as the favorite for this, who would you put in the second position? That that kind of right behind Levert, maybe the second option if Levert's not the starter. Colin Sexton. Okay, I'm if gonna go Coro to, to be different. I think. Okay, that's. That that's I think that's a fair. I think you can make an argument for either is where I'm gonna be on that one. Where if mm-hmm. one if Sexton isn't back, obviously it's a Coro, but like. I'm intrigued enough by Okoro, and he's more multifaceted, and at least the way the Cavs operate, you can use him in a lot more different ways than maybe you can Sexton, where you have to, like, put a point guard next to him, and you have to put a defender next to him, and, like, it kind of, like, Sexton is not your, like, type A player, like, he's, like, your BC option in this scenario, so... Akoro is obviously just like a lower usage player offensively where you can kind of get more creative with how you use him. It's just the question is spacing with him. But I think Sexton just being a spark plug off the bench is just kind of how I'd operate. Mm-hmm. And if you're bigger staff in this scenario, maybe you deploy a system where you bring in sexton off the bench first you pull out garland to maybe end the first quarter and you let karis levert maybe run point if that doesn't work you turn to rollinetto in that case or scenario and then rubio when he's healthy yeah there's a lot of little wrinkles to how they handle this roster that i think will be really fascinating to kind of figure mm-hmm. out um and i think this how they handle the minutes between the two and the three I think is going to dictate that, you know, who does, how does marketing play? I mean, if marketing, like, let's just say if there's a word where marketing doesn't start at the three, there are questions then about like, how do you kind of stagger him and Kevin love? Cause I don't really love the fit of them together is, is, you know, tricky at best. Um, there's just like a lot of little wrinkles of how they figure this out. It wouldn't surprise me, Evan, if like, as we go, as the season goes on and we're looking at it, we're watching the games, we're looking at the box scores, we're checking the advanced numbers, whatever. I tend to think that there's going to be like some throwings of the wall stretches where we stuff just changes because they're trying to find out what actually works best. Yeah, I think the fact that they're a team that almost made the playoffs with 44 wins last season definitely puts them in a good spot. And they have like a clear idea of what works playing big, uh, Garland, Mobley, Allen, et cetera, et cetera. And now it's kind of figuring out, and Kevin Love, hopefully he, you can bring back not the same player because I think just mileage and age are going to play a factor in that. And I just think not having Ricky Rubin to start the season will obviously impact that too. But figuring out maybe some of these other question marks and variables, like having so much already set in place gives you that runway and luxury through training camp and the preseason, maybe the start of the season to kind of figure out these little things so that you can have a more clear idea heading towards the all-star break and then post all-star break heading into the playoffs as well. Yes. Evan, uh, it's good to have you back. It's like I never left. I mean, you did leave, but any final thoughts? (laughs) Not really. Um, it's it's good to be back, though. I, I did miss this. I am feeling zen, as I texted Chris, mentally I'm in a much better place. But it's good to be back. Uh, we're doing this three days a week now, as Chris mentioned, too, at the top of the show. Uh, shouts to Jake, our new producer. Um, 
if he's here right now, Jake, you can just wave to your computer screen if you're listening to this. But um, yeah, no, thanks for checking us out. We're doing this three days a week. Subscribe to us on YouTube if you haven't. And just, uh, yeah, keep on keeping on. Yeah, uh, if you want a great second listen today, I would check out Locked in NBA, obviously, but also Locked in Guardians right now. It's MLB trade deadline day. Jeff Ellis over there doing some really cool stuff. So go check out that show. Check out Locked on Browns as well with Garrett Bush and Jeff Floyd uh, as Browns training camp is going on and the Deshaun Watson stuff is happening. The Ultimate Cleveland Sports Show is around two. Again, we'll be back on Friday talking about Ochai Abaji in year one, what the expectations are for him, what other 14th picks have produced as rookies. But until next time, I'm Chris. That's Evan. Be well. Subscribe, as Evan said. And uh, stay hydrated. It's going to be a hot one.